Yes, good evening. Uh, welcome to RUF. As I said earlier, my name is Nick Bratcher. I am the campus minister here for RUF. Uh, I'm glad you've joined us this evening. You could have been doing a lot of things with your Tuesday night, uh, and you came here. So uh, Tonight we're continuing on in our series, uh, Songs That Shape Us, uh, in Psalm 42. Um, well, that's being pulled up, which I think it's already pulled up. Yep, you're on top of it, Cam. Uh, I'll remind you that we've called this series Songs That Shape Us because that is what the Psalms are, right? They are songs that are meant to be sung by God's people. They're uh, his hymn book for his people to sing. And as they sing them, God would effectively be giving his people the words that he wants them to use to describe him, to describe themselves, and the world around them. But... Uh, one of the most remarkable parts about the Psalms is how they reach even deeper than just concepts. They actually shape our very emotions. They tell us how we feel. They give voice to how we feel in our everyday lives, our heartbreaks, our successes, our fears, our failures, desires, all of these things. Uh, in other words, the Psalms are really songs for occasions. They're songs for occasions when we feel certain ways, words that God has given us to sing designed to help us feel those emotions and uh, experience those occasions in a way that honors and glorifies our Creator. Last week, um, we looked at Psalm 34, uh, and we talked about how uh, it, that it was a song... Uh, oh gosh, can you remember? I'm suddenly blanking. Eh, it's fine. Uh, we talked about uh, Psalm 34. Oh yes, uh, a song for doubt. Uh, and this week... Uh, we're actually going to be in Psalm 42, and this is a song for when God feels distant. It's kind of our heading a little bit. It's a song for when God feels distant. And in verse 6, uh, the psalmist writes that he remembers God from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Miser. Uh, this location is uh, probably at the start of the Jordan River uh, in the land that we know that is called Hermon uh, at the time. And it's a, a mountainous region that's uh, just north of Israel. Uh, definitely outside the country's border. And now the psalmist could have been referring, as he talks about where he is, could have been referring to uh, being in exile outside Israel, um, like literal physical exile, or it could be a metaphor that he's just employing uh, to describe his isolation and distance from God because he's not near Jerusalem, which is where God's temple is. Uh, either way, whether it's literal or metaphorical, the point is clear. The psalmist feels that God is at a distance and that it's a, it's a very large distance, hundreds of miles away. He feels that he cannot enjoy the presence of God uh, that is most evident in the temple worship in Jerusalem. Now, I say that God feels distant to the psalmist because while the psalmist will express doubt about God's presence, his closeness, there's a difference between prescription and description in the Bible. Right? So just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean that it's the same thing as it prescribing it. Uh, it might describe uh, things like slavery or polygamy, and that is not meaning that everything the Bible talks about, it endorses, right? It's just describing something that's, that, that feels true or that happens. And this is particularly true in the Psalms, uh, that even in this one, we're, we are given words to describe how we feel, not necessarily how things are. One thing the Bible is abundantly clear about is that God is actually never far. Uh, he's never far, especially from those who call upon him. 
In fact, elsewhere in the Psalms themselves, in Psalm 86, uh, one that we've been praying through in our daily office, uh, the Lord is described as good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to those who call upon him. As I mentioned in Exodus 34, 6 through 7, this is actually the same verbiage that God uses to describe himself as he uh, demonstrates himself, as he reveals himself to Moses. Uh, God is many things, but he's never distant. Uh, Though he had a temple in Jerusalem, his people have always known that God is not bound by four walls or a roof. Uh, He is never far from both the righteous and, honestly, the guilty. Um, At the end, I didn't quote this last week, but at the end of God saying that he abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness, he also says uh, that he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. He is an ever-present God, patient and steadfast in love, but he's also an expedient judge who is close at hand to administer justice. These are the truths that the psalmist assumes you already know. Right? He assumes that if you're singing this song, you already know this about God. But he's allowing you to feel deeply what he's experiencing. Uh, we know this actually most evidently that God is not that far off because the psalm is in the Bible. Right? That the psalmist didn't ultimately feel like God was too far off, that he just gave up on his faith. Instead, he penned these words, and now we sing them or pray them. Uh, uh, So God has given us these words so that uh, we can sing them when we feel distant. So that's actually our big question for the evening. How do we experience distance from God? That's our our big heading, what we're going to keep coming back to over and over again. How do we experience distance from God? Uh, As we answer that question, we'll also try to address how God would have us respond to that distance. Let's read our passage, Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams... So, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Dear God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, the Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. All right, Uh, let's dive straight into our passage to be attempting to answer the question, how do we experience distance from God? How do we experience distance from God? Look with me first at verses 1 through 2. 
The psalmist, and by the way, the passage is printed on the back of your bulletin if you don't uh, know that already. Uh, The psalmist opens by using a metaphor to describe this feeling of alienation from God. He describes a deer uh, panting from uh, what's assumedly dry mouth and exhaustion and compares this deer to our own soul. What does it mean, or to his own soul, what does it mean for, for a human soul to be thirsty to the point of panting? Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but I, I have not seen a human soul pant. Um, and so it, it beckons the question, uh, what, is, what does it mean for a soul to pant as a deer pants for a stream? Well, uh, we have to draw some conclusions from what it means to physically thirst. We can at least say this, uh, God's presence is a need in our lives, right? It's like water. He's not an optional add-on. It's not a nice bonus on top of a good life. Uh, the deer cannot ignore its need for water. It will have to come and get water or it will die. Uh, so also, humans need God. Our souls are meant to enjoy God and glorify him. We're born, all of us, every human being is born with an insatiable thirst for that relationship. And whether we're you know, the most professed Christian or an avowed atheist, that's the reality, that we are in deep need of that relationship. And according to the psalm, the thirsty are just the ones who lack it. They're the ones who are most aware of their thirst. And this is actually our first answer to the question, how do we experience distance from God? The first way we experience distance from God is a thirst for relationship with him. Right? The first way, answers are coming at you fast. It's a thirst for relationship with him. We long to enjoy God and glorify him, and our hearts are thirsty and restless until they do. But here's the catch, right? Here's the catch. Some of us don't realize how dehydrated we really are. We don't realize how thirsty we actually are. We know this uh, can happen with physical thirst, right? Uh, Any sort of liquid is enough for a dying man. Uh, There are stories all the time of people who get shipwrecked or who are uh, stranded out at sea, and they often succumb to drinking the seawater that's all around them, even though that is they know... We know that's full of salt and is only going to dehydrate them more quickly. Uh, for a dying man, any sort of liquid is enough, right? It quenches their thirst even if it does not actually hydrate them. And it leaves them thirstier than ever. It satisfies for a time, but it's not the ultimate answer. They need real water. The Bible calls this search for a, a substitute stream idolatry. It's the spiritual drinking of salt water or soda in place of real, true, living water. Uh, We do this uh, when we look for a boyfriend or a girlfriend uh, to tell us that we're enough. We do this when we put all our worth and significance into getting in the right grad school or the right grades or being in the right friend group. Uh, We worship power or prestige when we spend all our time posturing and thinking about how we appear toward people and whether or not we're moving up in the right way in our company or um, in our friend group or just with people in general. All these lesser streams, these idols, they promise big and they deliver little. They're volatile, right? They can leave at any moment. Uh, I spent a good portion of time last week talking about how all of those things can actually fail us, but... I'll just say this, uh, the psalmist is experiencing it himself, uh, that he's been put on a performance treadmill, and it only leaves him more spiritually dehydrated than before. Look at verse 7. 
He says this, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Um, as God has taken any semblance of a lesser stream, and as he really thirsts for God, because God's the only answer for him, he knows uh, he's, he's feeling crushed. He feels like God's waves have come over and over and over him. Um, this is the experience of someone who is enduring the lesser stream, who is getting thirstier and thirstier, who understands that all of these substitute streams, all of these lesser waters are not really it. Uh, they, uh, things are failing him over and over again. Anything he could possibly rest his life upon, anything that might steady him, whether it's family or a job or something to say like, okay, I'm not in that much trouble. I don't need God that bad. I have this thing. God is completely wiping all of those things out, right? Have you ever stood on a beach and like, uh, and have like water, like some of you guys have had like whole waves crash over you and it's terrifying, right? But even if you just stand on a beach and you just have water coming in and out, slowly your feet kind of start to move, right? Things, the, the earth beneath you actually starts to kind of give way. You either sink deep or you end up getting carried out, right? By riptides and things. This is, this is what's happening to the psalmist. There is nothing he can hold on to. God is taking it all away. Um, but this painful process has awoken him to his thirst. The only solution is to find the fulfillment of these desires in knowing God, the thing he's actually longing for. So if you're here tonight and that's you, right, one of these things, uh, what this should be pointing you to is that you should allow those feelings. Those feelings are not bad. That longing that you have deep in your soul to be significant, to mean something, to be satisfied, to, uh, to have deep relationship, to have power, all of those things are actually pointing you to a relationship with God. That enjoying him answers all of those deep needs that we have. His stream is the one that satisfies. Um, his, having his love for you be the identity that you've always wanted, his love for you being the thing that is unshakable, his love for you giving you the power to, withdure, to endure and, and uh, withstand any sort of situation, that is real power, real life, a real stream. So why do we fall for it then? Right? Why do we... Why do we uh, drink of these lesser streams. If it was that obvious, if all of these other streams are so terrible, right? Why do we even get thirsty? Why would anyone feel thirsty? How do we end up in this position uh, if God really is readily present for us? Well, look with me at verse four. Here, the psalmist remembers how he used to worship among God's people. Uh, in fact, uh, given his language of a procession in a throng. Uh, it's probably that he's making a pilgrimage to a grand festival. There were uh, three of these principally in ancient Israel, the festival of Passover, first fruits, and booths. Um, I'm not going to bore you with all the details about those, but um, these were times when all, of when all of Israel was to come back to Jerusalem and celebrate together, um, that they would remember God's faithfulness in bringing them out of Egypt and making them their own people and giving them a place on earth that is their own, in providing for their material needs and forgiving their sin. This was a huge celebration of God's people, and it was supposed to be a regular reminder of God's love for them. And this relational reminder was not meant to be just vertical in dimension, right? He could have just said, wherever you are, I want you to have a moment where you just remember that, 
you know, I saved you or that I care for you or whatever. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he calls all of his people together to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Uh, And this is a reminder that it's supposed to not just be a vertical dimension to this party, to this worship, but a horizontal relationship happening as well. The psalmist himself records this human-to-human aspect of relationship as he mentions multitudes keeping these festivals. God's people were to remind one another of his goodness to them, even if it was just in their presence, even if it was just in a multitude of people being there, paying testimony and homage to God's goodness. uh, They were reminding each other uh, of God's goodness, reminding each other of his promises. Um, And the reality of this, this, tells us about is that they're not autonomous individuals. Like here in the West, we love to think of ourselves as like little autonomous, like, you know, people who can put in headphones and put on our head, uh, our hoods and walk from class to class and not have to talk to anybody until we get back into our room and then our roommate bothers us, right? That's what we think we are. Um, But as I said before, whether by physical, emotional or spiritual barrier, Uh, The psalmist is very far, and he longs for actually this connection with other people to lead the throng again. Um, He's been cut off from God's people and can only remember a time when he was just among their number. He can only remember it. This is actually our second answer to our question, how do we experience distance from God? Well, the second way we experience distance from God is distance from his covenant community. Right. So I said first, uh, we experience it in a thirst for relationship with him. And secondly, we experience it in a distance from his covenant community. Um, that's the church. Uh, why is this so important? Uh, uh, I'm sorry for using a second water illustration. I'm getting thirsty just thinking about it. But a recent study done by the National Institute of Health reveals that uh, our uh, bodies actually uh, adjust to however much water we intake. Um, in, a, in an order to like survive an emergency situation, what happens if you don't drink water for a long period of time is that your body actually stops using as much water, which makes sense, and that you actually it will actually deaden your need for water. Like even your thirst uh, will go away after some time. Um, your your body undergoes something called neural adaptation, where your brain tells your body, "Slow down. We don't actually need this much water." Um, We don't have a lot of it available to us, and so it will go into an emergency kind of situation. Uh, In an emergency where you had to go without water for days, that would be super helpful, right? If you're on the boat and you don't want to drink the salt water, like this is a really, really great thing that your body does. Um, But it's actually really hurtful to your body when you actually have water aplenty and you just don't drink it. Um, In 2009, the National Institute of Health discovered that many Americans, actually over half, live that way with their neural adaptation constantly engaged. Uh, We live most of our lives like we are dehydrated. Uh, Some of you guys are like sipping your water like as I'm talking about it. I know, I know. Uh, The the reality is that our bodies have created a uh, design or created by design to um, be able to adapt uh, so that we don't get our heads clouded just by the thirst that we encounter when we're really, really thirsty or when we haven't uh, had enough water. But we live our lives dehydrated, unaware of how thirsty we are, because our bodies are made that way. Um, We've actually deadened our need of water. Um, In the Christian life, right, what this looks like uh, spiritually is something called drift, right? We spend less and less of our time seeking God's face until we 
never look on it, right? We spend less and less time reading our Bibles or praying or going to church until we've come like slowly acclimated to the reality that we're just dehydrated and that's fine. Um, in fact, your body will keep on going that way until you die. Uh, luckily, most of us eventually get kind of thirsty and we drink some uh, or we drink a soda or something. Um, but spiritually, that's not what happens, right? This goes on until we become dead or we suddenly realize, like the psalmist has, by God's grace, that we're dying of thirst. The call to covenant community like, probably can't be undersold at this point, right? Uh, that this, is, that this um, marching with the throng, that this relationship with neighbor uh, is lacking and is actually making this psalmist thirsty, that it's making him lonely and tired and, and, and feel like God's not near to him. In a world where we become acclimated to spiritual thirst, uh, God has given us the church, God's given us the church to help our hearts warm towards him, right? To not only hear from him and his word that he loves us, but for others to demonstrate that love to us and to call us deeper into it ourselves as we worship together and share our lives. Um, this, uh, I said this earlier, but this is a, this is a really, really big departure from where like even our Christian culture is today. Um, we tend to think that if we like listen to a podcast, even Nick's podcast from RUF or something, right? Uh, shout out to the people listening at home. Uh, that's like, we tend to think that that's like, oh, I did my church for the week, right? Um, I, I, or even if you came here for the week, I, I did, I did my religious duty, um, you know, I went into the woods and I read my Bible for a while. Um, I read a blog like that once. Um, I went to a Bible study, and that should count as church. But, man, none of that is. That's not what this is describing at all. Life in the body that leads to God's nearness is not about whatever spiritual high you think you've experienced. That's, that's not what he's talking about at all. It's not about spiritual high. This is uh, seeking spiritual highs is the conduct of somebody who is thirsty. It's the conduct of somebody who actually has not been satiated by God and actually doesn't know them very well. Uh, God's nearness is found in this. It's found in regular, consistent sitting under God's word from an, from an actual preacher who, uh, as a part of a people who worship him, part of his people, uh, who worship him the way that he's asked us to worship him, uh, with an invitation to worship him, confession of our sin, assurance of pardon, prayer, giving of tithes and offerings, and blessing. Uh, now, that might sound crazy that God would command like ritualistic worship, that we just have to show up every Sunday and do these things. But here it is in this psalm, uh, the festivals for which the psalmist longs. I bet you can't guess where these festivals are instituted. Leviticus. <laughs> Right? They're in Leviticus chapter 23, and they're the things that he's longing for, is this ordinary ordinances that God has instituted in a book that all of us think we could never read or want to read. Right, Of course, great praise and excitement, it, it flows from observing this. It flows from dry as dust wrestling with the church as coming when you don't feel like it over and over and over again. But these are... Uh, the result of right worship, the result of being in God's body week after week on a Sunday morning with people who are not like you, who are older and younger, and who are doing these sorts of things, uh, that uh, results in the praise that echoes in the psalm. The, 
the excitement that surrounds the psalmist. He longs for this, this time that results in right worship. Um, just as these festivals were commanded in the dry as dust book of Leviticus, getting plugged into a church which practices uh, such things may seem dry as dust uh, ritual, but this psalm points us to a deep, deeper reality. Um, church is a wellspring of life for which this psalmist longs. So hear me say, you need to go to church. Uh, that's just, just going to throw it out there. This is, uh, this is the, the, one of the main points he's making is life without the body means you're, you're dying. You are, uh, you're going to feel the distance from God without his people. All right. But what if some of you guys are like, okay, well, I do, I do those things sometimes, and sometimes I still feel that God is distant from me. I, I'm, you know, I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I'm not lured by any false dreams. Uh, and I go to church regularly. I, I'm involved in God's body, in a body like you've described, that, that preaches God's word and you know, confesses their sin and all that kind of stuff. I, I understand all that stuff, but I still feel like God is distant. Why do I still feel like God is distant? What happens when we feel we are doing all the right things, but God still seems so far away? Well, let's look at verses 9 through 10. Here we see the ultimate position of the psalmist. Uh, he's hanging in there. Right? He's clinging to God's promises because uh, he's still calling God his rock. And he's crying out to God in prayer. He doesn't stop talking to him. Um, he's awoken to God's distance and his need as God's waves have crashed over him. God has caused him to come alive, but it is also here that we hear another voice. Another voice enters into this psalm uh, and is that of his adversary's taunts, crying out all day long, where is your God? Uh, these are either actual godless people, right? Remember if I said he's uh, physically outside of Israel, um, he, these might be genuinely godless people who are like, where's your God? Uh, but it could also be... Um, if he, this is more of a spiritual distance, um, it could be that uh, these adversaries are a personification of evil, uh, particularly, uh, we see over and over again, they could be the accusations of the devil. Um, this is probably the more likely option, the second option, because uh, God's people are supposed to be able to sing this, right? And we all don't have adversaries in northern uh, Jordan. Uh, instead, uh, we have a common adversary, a con common enemy uh, called Satan. Uh, and actually, often in Scripture, he's depicted as an accuser, as someone who would say something like this. Uh, in fact, uh, accuser is actually just the Hebrew word like for Satan, right? So Satan is the actual Hebrew word, and we translate it as Satan, but it could also be translated as accuser. So uh, when you read that, you can always say the accuser instead of Satan. Uh, he appears this way in Job 1. This is how Satan appears to us often. He accuses Job of not being faithful to God. He says, uh, he's at God's side, and he says, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and the possessions have increased in his land. But if you stretch out your hand and you touch all that he has, he'll curse you to your face. Uh, Satan loves to make us believe that God has left us, that he would abandon us. And then, once we've believed it, he'll accuse us before God of not holding on to, to God, holding fast to him and his promises. This is actually our third answer to the question, how do we experience distance from God? 
The third way we experience distance from God is in the voice of our accuser. So uh, we experience distance from God in a thirst for relationship with him, distance from the covenant community, and in the voice of our accuser. What are we to do when we hear uh, this voice in our heads that tells us that God is not for us, that we are too broken for him to love, we've sinned one too many times, or that we are worthless or insignificant, uh, some nobody, that God would much rather have somebody who's cooler or funnier or smarter than you, that God has indeed left you. What do we do when we hear uh, a voice inside our heads that says that, uh, or, or a feeling that feels that way? What do we do in the face of the question, where's your God? Well, look at verse 11. How does the psalmist uh, respond? There he speaks to his own soul. Uh, there's been a number of ways of describing what goes on there, like what does it mean to speak to your own soul, but I'll simply call it soul speech. And the psalmist is preaching this soul speech of truth to his own soul. When we hear the voice of accusation, we should remind ourselves that this voice is not God's voice, that God doesn't talk like this. Uh, Remind ourselves of God's commitment to us, that he is indeed a rock, uh, that we will again praise him and that he is our salvation. Now, uh, I'll say this too. This isn't to be confused with just like grinning and bearing it, right? This is not you white-knuckling it to your salvation and saying like, okay, I really believe that God has done this for me and I can, I can just get through anything, any temptation, any, any sort of burden or, or hardship. I can just make it through. No, this is not seeking deeper into yourself. It's de- sinking deeper more into God and who he is and what his promises are. It's preaching to yourself his truth, God's truth, not your own. That leaves us with a lingering question. How can we know that God will make good on these promises, right? How do we know that we're actually telling ourselves the right story, that we're not just fooling ourselves with the hope that we're offering? Well, look again at the refrain uh, in verses 5 and 12. Uh, Look at the refrain. Uh, We know uh, that we're not just fooling ourselves because there once was a person who was actually troubled in his soul, but God did not answer him when he called out one whom God did not save from death. In John 12, 27, as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, uh, prepared to offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross for our sin, Jesus says this about it. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. The reality is we know how that story ends. Uh, The Father doesn't save him from that hour. Jesus was left on purpose for us uh, to suffer death. He did not offer up that prayer of salvation so that when you and I pray this prayer, when you and I engage in this prayer, uh, when we feel that God is distant and we ask him to forgive us, when we ask him uh, if he's forgotten us, we get to hear the good news Right, that we get to hear the good news that God is near us, that he is not far off. When we are asked by Satan, where is your God? We can say, always here, with me, behind me. And friends, God is near to us because Jesus was forsaken. And you and I can only feel God's distance, right? The reality is that no matter what, if you've put your faith in Jesus, that it's just a feeling that you have. Um, it's one that God understands and knows you're going to feel, and you can pray this prayer but that distance is, is a feeling uh, that Jesus purchased uh, 
for you not to actually fully understand like he does, that God is near to you in a way he wasn't for him. No amount of drinking from lesser streams, no amount of spiritual apathy, whether you go to church or don't go to church or read your Bible or any of that stuff, no amount of lies from Satan uh, can deter God from showing his favor to you in this way uh, if you place your faith in Jesus. Do you believe that this evening? Right? Do you believe that, uh, that that's the truth, that uh, God really has not spared Jesus in the way that he spares you when you pray this prayer? Uh, tonight, I invite you to pray it. I invite you to ask God to be close to you, to answer this question in the affirmative that God is here, not far off, uh, that you can believe this good news. Let's pray.